Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live. Talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Hello. So, I just think that actually all of us in the country today are simply extras in a in a reality show now. That's what we are. Extras in this uh, grotesque reality show. Uh, <laughs> um, so now we got the head of the National Enquirer and other wonderful uh, media organs, uh, David Pecker, speaking of organs, uh, who has reached an immunity deal with uh, prosecutors. And David Pecker, another fine human being, uh, of course, uh, a dear friend of Donald Trump's. What, when this is all said and done, what we will find out is something that in his heart, I suspect, Donald Trump has known for a long, 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 long time. And that is he has no friends. He has no friends. It will even be interesting to see if his immediate family hangs together or hangs separately because it is not beyond uh, the realm of possibility that his daughter, Ivanka, could end up in jail, her husband, Donald Jr., perhaps Eric, don't know. I would not be surprised if when all this is over, all of them are in jail. <laughs> and the reason being, the New York District Attorney, this is not federal, the New York District Attorney in Pittsburgh would be like Stephen Zappalo right down the street here a different uh, jurisdiction and the fact that the New York uh, DA is uh, sniff sniffing around now as well as um, the state of New York these are juris uh, you know judicial jurisdictions that a president has no power in and since so much of Donald Trump's history of graft and corruption, shady characters and payoffs, falsified uh, papers, I'm sure, and income tax returns, because so much of that, if not nearly all of it, occurred within the jurisdiction of New York, New York. Those jurisdictions have a lot of ability to come after him uh, once he departs the White House. And they will, I suspect, unless some kind of astonishing deal is made. I can't, I can't imagine what it would be. Because after Mueller, and Mueller, as we know, has his hands on so much stuff that nobody else knows about. All the talking heads, all the newspapers. N we do not know half of what that man knows. It is assumed he's been looking into Trump's tax returns, into financials, into business dealings. And if he's in there, it's just a matter of how deep that swamp goes. How deep. 
I can't even begin to imagine. And I don't know how delusional Donald Trump is, but surely he knows that this is tightening around him. And that even if, as president, he has powers that will shield him, at least momentarily, from the long reach of the law, then I think uh, he's, he's got to know. He knows all the criminal stuff he's done. I only suspect all the criminal stuff he's done. Anybody who's watched him operate knows. He does not do things in an ethical way. Now, sometimes doing things in an unethical way does not mean criminal. But oftentimes it does. And since I don't think this guy ever operates ethically, <laughs> I don't think he's capable of it. I cannot imagine the number of criminal potential cases could be brought against him, his business, his family, and all of his associates. Everything, and we've seen it, everything that this man touches is not only sullied, but often destroyed. And I am talking about people, and I'm even talking about our own nation. He has sullied our nation. He has destroyed very important parts of it. He has destroyed trust. He has and continues to attempt to destroy the institutions that help keep our country secure. And I see him uh, taking us all down in an effort to save himself. I am saying he would if he can, we'll see. But he would. He would take us all down. I don't, you know, again, I had said I'm not going to follow each day that what he's um, up to. But it's, it's, it just leaves me uh, without words. Uh, you know, and uh, understand, I, I don't think there's any doubt that he will pardon Paul Manafort. Is there anyone who thinks he won't? It's just a matter of when he will do it. Will he wait for Manafort to... Uh, go to the civil trial, be found guilty of a number of other crimes? Uh, will he wait simply because he's got people around him begging him to wait until the midterm elections? Not to give any more talking points to the Democrats? I, I mean, I don't know how much control, self-control, he is, he, he is capable of. I just, I don't think very much. But every once in a while, someone scares him enough so he manages to sort of zip up a little bit for a little while. <coughs> that, that we have a president that is, uh, has no friends, doesn't trust the people around him. In fact, they don't trust anyone. There's, there's no one in the White House that trusts anyone else in the White House. 
That's the impression I get. And while we might know that uh, Omarosa, um, being part of that White House, decided that she better keep tapes of interactions to safeguard herself, you can bet she's not the only one who's doing that. Um, so here is a White House in which nobody trusts anybody else, where you have a paranoid, delusional, narcissist, uh, child man in, in, in charge, and where he is aware that things are closing in on him. And this is a, it's just a very uh, dangerous time for America. And we saw um, what happens when a man is this frightened, this isolated, this angry, this vengeful, or his primitive brain is working overtime, this man who doesn't sleep, this man who is tweeting at 1 a.m. in the morning and then resumes tweeting at 7 a.m. in the morning, this man who sits by himself watching Fox News, that's what the president does. He sits in that big house, the people's house. He sits in that house and he watches Tucker Carlson. And Tucker Carlson, of course, like Sean Hannity, traffics in the same kind of merchandise that Donald Trump does. They all understand each other well. They traffic in lies. They traffic in innuendo and conspiracy theories. So he's listening to Tucker Carlson the other day, and Tucker is spreading falsehoods and conspiracy theories about South Africa, about South African farmers, white farmers, uh, being murdered uh, by the hundreds and by blacks, and that the government is intending to take all the white people's land and give it to blacks. And this is the blathering of white supremacists both in South Africa and in the United States. So when the president, after listening to Tucker, inform him about this practical genocide against white farmers in South Africa, the president, of course, tweeted. I have my secretary of state check this out immediately. They're, you know, blah, 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 blah. Well, the reaction was immediate. The reaction from any serious, sober uh, person aware of global politics and aware of South Africa and what's going on there, uh, the response was, what the, hmm, seriously, what the hell are you talking about? As with all conspiracy theories, there is a shred of some fact there that then is jumped on, held to, while you go off creating the rest of the story. But in fact, violence against white uh, farmers in South Africa is uh, way way down from where it was some time ago. I mean, this is ain't, the number of killings is now at a 20-year low. This is akin to Trump, for instance, immediately trying to use the death of Molly Tibbetts in Iowa at the hands of an undocumented immigrant as a way to terrify white people in America 
that they are being targeted by these rapists and murderers from Mexico. Never mind, again, about facts, that native-born Americans pose a much greater threat to native-born Americans than do any immigrants, legal or otherwise, coming into our country. In fact, crimes committed by undocumented immigrants are much lower in terms of their population, much lower percentage than that committed by uh, people like you and me, assuming I'm talking to somebody who was born in this country. But that doesn't matter. The facts don't matter, just like it doesn't matter that killing of white farmers in South Africa is at a 20-year low. What does matter is that here is the president again reiterating, giving, giving a lot of coverage, you've got a lot of people who read those tweets, to a false story designed to so fear of black people in white people. That's all that's about. It's why he tweeted about it. That's what he does. White people be afraid. Be very afraid. Doesn't matter if the white people are over there in South Africa. Doesn't matter if the white people are, is someone jogging through an Iowa cornfield. White people, you're under assault. You're under attack. And this repetition, this repeat the lie until it becomes truth, is the oldest autocratic playbook in the world because it works. The fact that things the president's tw president tweets get thank yous from David Duke, as did this South African. Thank you. Thank you. From white nationalists, thank you. This is huge for us. This is what we're trying to tell people. White genocide, I'm telling you. They're coming for us. These black people, these brown people. And now the President of the United States is one of them. So this is a guy who gets, he doesn't read his, the reports that the Intelligence Committee gives him. He tunes in Tucker Effen Carlson and Sean Effen Hannity and he gets their conspiracy theory du jour. And then he spreads the word. This is the President of the United States. So he tells the Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, go, go look into this. We've got to save these people. We've got to like maybe change the immigration law so that anyone who's a white farmer in South Africa can come running here immediately. We'll take them in. They're in immediate danger. Here's a problem for Mike Pompeo. Pompeo. He doesn't have, there's no U.S. ambassador in South Africa. Did you know that? No. Well, m make the assumption that there is no U.S. ambassador in most countries on the globe right now, and often in very important countries. There is, n they're too busy, this White House is too busy with filling only judiciary slots. They don't care much about ambassador to anything, anywhere. Remember, there was no ambassador in South Korea. There's no ambassador. I, I don't, is there an ambassador in Japan yet? I don't even know. So when people wanted to talk to some, who was the last ambassador in South Africa? Can we get their, uh, you know, they, that's somebody who might know what's happening there. So uh, you go to the last one. That would be uh, the one that was there during... Obama's presidency. His name is Patrick Gaspard. 
And um, he says this about the tweet. Trump has walked right smack into some of the most supercharged politics that exist in any of our bilateral relationships anywhere on this globe. Here you have a president of the United States trafficking in white supremacist storylines and talking points that have caused incredible damage in the country, in the region, and that are easily disproved. But David Duke is happy. A guy named Mike Pinovich, a white supremacist who does a podcast called The Daily Shoah. And when I saw that name, I, 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 I almost vomited. The Shoah, S-H-O-A-H, is a word for the Holocaust. He thought it'd be funny, you know, The Daily Show, The Daily Shoah. And that SOB said the president's tweet on South Africa is very big, very big. This is how we slowly chip away. This is how white nationalists build into a bigger, more lethal population in our country. With an ally like the President of the United States, that would be, yeah, definitely good. David Duke, thank you, Mr. President. Michael Savage, he's got a petition already up on his website calling on Trump to give immigration priority to white South African farmers who are fleeing for their very lives. This petition is circulating on Stormfront, in case you didn't know what that is. It's the white supremacist uh, internet forum. This is our president, ladies and gentlemen, Der Fuhrer, I call him. Uh, I'm just going to jump all over the place today, so just bear with me, okay? I saw, this is local, I saw that Newsweek, is it Newsweek? Is it Newsweek? Please tell me. Is it, I thought it was Newsweek. I know it was Newsweek that did something last, uh, no, it's time. Oh, sorry. Time, Newsweek, what's the difference? Time Magazine, ladies and gentlemen. Does anyone even read it anymore? Time Magazine has come out with a list. We love lists. Pittsburgh loves lists because we often end up on them. And the, this list is of, get this, the, the 100 greatest places on earth. 100 greatest places on earth. I guess the thing about this story is 100 places you just got to go before it's over. Anybody's bucket list. You got to go there. It might be a, a hotel you got to stay in. It might be a place you got to go eat. It's the 100 greatest places on earth. And guess what's on it? A place I've been to. A place I've been to and in fact talked about the next day on this show. Where I said the thing on the menu that caught my eye was the crispy pig face. Not to mention the prices. Not to mention the size of what came. That wasn't a whole crispy pig face, I'll tell you. That was like a widow pinch of a pig jowl. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, Superior Motors in Braddock. 
John Fetterman, soon to be our lieutenant governor in the state, lives right over it. Superior Motors in Braddock is now one of the 100 of the world's greatest places. What the hell? Yeah, okay. Well, this is why. So, I'm t- go see for yourself, okay? Yeah, give me your business. This is Kevin Sousa's restaurant. Kevin Sousa, who has left a trail of destruction in the restaurant industry in Pittsburgh, opens up places and then goes into extraordinary debt, leaves them, goes to another restaurant, opens it up, leaves it. Um, Yeah, but this is his baby, Superior Motors in Braddock. It's uh, located in an old uh, car dealership in this very run-down uh, steel town of 2,000 people, of which John Fetterman is the mayor, but now is going to be the lieutenant governor, I would think. Um, there it is, Superior Motors. I saw that, and I just wanted to puke. It shows how don't pay attention to this kind of shit. Something just gets, like, this was declared one of the ten best something, the same place recently, ten best restaurants in the... If this is true, then I think, you know, I'm going back to McDonald's. I I much prefer McDonald's. I'm not kidding you. Beyond belief. The world's greatest places, 100 destinations. Wow. Check it out. I did. I didn't want to, uh, but a friend wanted to, so we went. And um, we were underwhelmed, to say the least, in every way, underwhelmed. Check it out, and you tell me if that's one of the 100 greatest places on earth. And then you tell me why Time Magazine was such a storied history what it's come to that superior motor you could go there right now then you'd only have 99 more places to go and I don't know what the other 99 are jeez unbelievable so I'm driving in my car the other day yesterday it might have been and I hear that Aretha Franklin did not leave a will And I thought, I can't get it out of my head. It is such, it's beyond my, again, it's beyond belief to me. It's not like she died suddenly. Aretha Franklin was in failing health for some time. She knew she was dying. She knew she was leaving a multi-million dollar estate, not to mention the rights to her, you know, she's got somebody that famous, even after death, well, they can become even more valuable, depending what you, people like that absolutely have to have a will. Otherwise, you end up like Fred Astaire doing uh, vacuum commercials after he's dead. Wasn't that Fred Astaire? I think. I'm just, I bring it up because I think most Americans don't have a will. And I want to say that you can, that that is so irresponsible. Uh, Assuming if you have children, if you have heirs of any kind, and you don't want them, and you want them to continue to have good relationship with each other. You don't want them ending up in court, facing each other, saying, no, that was mine, that was meant to be mine, no, that was meant to be mine. I mean, any parent who doesn't have a will, or any spouse who doesn't make clear 
everything. I mean, for is is like it's the height of of uh, irresponsibility, and it's selfish. Yeah, you'll be gone. What do you care? It's like if you have the time. If you know you're dying, and guess what? You are. We all are. But someone like her, who absolutely knew she was dying and doesn't call a lawyer. I mean, I really... Prince. Now, I can see why maybe he, Prince, doesn't leave a will, but he was a much younger man, and younger people think they're never going to die. But he cared mightily about his output, his songs. And he didn't, I mean, we never have still not heard most of them, I believe. He wanted control over his music. But he didn't think that he could extend that control even after he was gone? What was he thinking? When you're people like that, not to have a will is just mind-bogglingly stupid. But I think for regular people, it's selfish. Because if you have anyone you're leaving behind, you're causing them in a time of grief. Let's say they're mourning your passing. And instead, you're dumping on them a mess, a mess. You're also, by the way, probably giving the state of Pennsylvania more than they have to get. I don't understand people who don't have wills because it's it's a manner of control of some of something that maybe it took you a lifetime to uh, to accrue. I mean, lawyers will tell you. The number of families they've seen ripped apart because no will was left. It's really something. It's not a pleasant thing to do because it makes you think about your mortality. Um, And it's, you know trying to figure it out yourself, but it is yours to figure out, not to leave as a mess. I'm sorry, this is my father talking through me because he was, it's one of the things I know he taught us. He was always fiddling with his will. (laughs) He was always threatening to die. And so he thought he was going to die all the time. His parents had died young. And so when I was young, I remember him talking about his will. And that's something else parents don't do. Talk to your children about what it is, what's in it. Give them a heads up. I know my father did because he wanted us to be aware. He also wanted uh, everything to be absolutely equal so that in no way would there be a perception of a favorite child or a favorite grandchild. He did not want his family at each other's throats. And he pulled it off. You got to do that. I'm just saying. It's something that just bugs the hell out of me. We have a call? Oh, I'm sorry. You told me that a million years ago. (gasps) Uh, I bet they're not there. They're there? Who, what patient soul is still there? Hello there. Ha! Hello. It's me. That's hey, you. I got a little best wishes, like I'm thinking, or how should I say it? Best case scenario, um, hopeful that here's what I think hope's going to happen in the world, according to me. The Democrats are going to beat him in the House and take control of that. And then Mueller's going to bring out his 
whole investigation, and it's so damaging, the Republicans can't but run away from it. So they're going to impeach Trump. That's what I'm wishful thinking, I guess. Well, um, not necessarily. I mean, I think it might happen somewhat like that. Um, the damaging stuff is going to keep coming. I mean, I don't yeah. know how many people are going to be in jail by the time we even get to the midterms. But it's just going to keep coming. And at and some... they lose at, big, Yeah. They say, what do we need this asshole for? I don't, I don't know, but, you know, it's just astonishing to me how the calculation that the Republicans are making is that they still are going to stick with him. And my, I have absolutely zero respect for every single one of them now, every single one of them. Yeah. Even the ones who sometimes say something slightly negative like well that's not helpful of the president i wish he wouldn't do that i would not have said that i would not have done that no i have no respect at all now the latest i heard was after election trump's going to get rid of sessions did you hear that yeah well I, he wants to get rid of sessions <laughs> man he wants to get rid yeah. of him you know, and here's the thing: he can get rid. Sessions is, a, is is in his cabinet. He can he can get rid of Sessions today. Right. But clearly, this is one of those instances where he's got a lot of people around him who are saying, "Please, please, do not, do not do that. Don't, 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 don't do that. It is going to create a ton of trouble for you. Don't do it." Because all of these things ultimately sort of add to the whole basketful of things that can build a case for uh, an attempt to uh, scotch the investigation into him. And that, it, it doesn't look good. It doesn't look good. The subversion of uh, justice. Uh, if he pardoned Manafort, I don't think that's a good idea either. Well, no, it isn't. Um, if he does that, he's going to be surprised what they're saying. Yeah, but Manafort hung in there for him. And that that kind of loyalty to Trump beats everything. It beats love of country. It beats any... Uh, actually, you know, I said he has a man of absolutely no moral character at all. No, no... The one thing... I guess the only star that he follows to get him keep him on the straight and narrow is uh, loyalty to me. It's not like he's loyal to anybody else. No. The only thing that matters to him is loyalty to him. If somebody does that, he's going to reward him like he did uh, Arpaio. It's, he's right. just beyond belief. I, I, my fear, I mean, just my fear is that we cannot imagine how this is going to end. Uh, it's going to end in an ugly, bloody mess. And we'll all be the poorer for it. Our country will be weakened by it. It already has been. And as I said when I began the show, this is a man who will take everything and everybody around him down trying to save his own skin. Exactly. It's not going to be pretty. Thank you. I appreciate okay, it. Okay, bye. bye. Go get a will. So, Duncan Hunter, ladies and gentlemen, uh, this is the latest uh, Republican uh, going to uh, prison. Uh, Duncan Hunter, one of the earlier uh sleazeballs that jumped in onto the Trump train. And I had said that this was his um, seat is in um, California, uh, San Diego. And I often think of that area as being yeah, pretty blue, but you see, it's also Camp Pendleton. It's very red. It is a very red district. But I said... With Duncan still on the ballot, because he is going to be, 
um, it is possible that enough people there will, you know, have to vote for the Democrat. And that the Democrat could, in fact, win. Well, I found out something about the Democrat. He is running against Duncan Hunter. He was running against Duncan Hunter before Duncan Hunter got caught stealing money from his campaign treasury. Uh, and this guy, I don't think, when he threw his hat in the ring, had uh, thought for a moment that he had a shot. First, let me just give you his name. Amar Kampa. Najjar and I'm looking at him and he is a nice looking young man browner skin his mom is a Mexican American his father is Middle Eastern and in fact Amar spent some of his childhood with his family living in Gaza where his family is from so his family are Palestinian and here's the other part about his family the guy who's the Democrat running for Duncan Hunter's seats seat his grandfather is dead but it's who his grandfather was. His grandfather was the leader of what I have always considered the most despicable terrorist attack, certainly up to that time. His grandfather was the mastermind of the attack on the Israeli athletes at the 1972 Olympics. Well, it was his grandfather who chose this venue of so-called, you know, countries getting along peace, peaceably and and I I'm sickened by it. That was his grandfather, Muhammad Youssef Al-Najjar. That was in 1972. In 1973, Israeli commandos But if you're running, I'm just saying this, if you're running in a Republican district and your mother is Mexican, your father is Palestinian, your grandfather is a known international terrorist uh, responsible for... A, a, and, and, and this guy... Um, says that you know I'm not my, I'm not my grandfather. No, and he is not. But you gotta wonder how a guy with that kind of history and that kind those kinds of troubles would have thrown his hat in the ring in the first place. Wow. Wow. He's an advocate of tough environmental measures, legal protections for immigrants. He is all of 28 years old. And it says even here, I mean, they did not, he was not known to m many people in the district. So on the ballot is Duncan Hunter and this 28-year-old with a uh, pretty amazing uh, biography um, and he has said this about his grandfather um, he has 
distance himself, obviously, from his grandfather and said he was quite aware that the Republicans uh, would try to use that against him. And he said if Hunter, the now disgraced congressman, if Hunter has to go back three generations to attack me, that must mean I'm a pretty clean candidate. I can go back two days ago and tell you about an indictment that he had. <laughs> it's a pretty good answer. I'm clean. I got no criminal record at all. He's He's been handcuffed and indicted. So don't be bringing up my dead grandfather who I never knew. Oh, boy. You know, I would say yeah, that's real chutzpah to have that history and say, I'm going to run for Congress in this absolutely red-as-heck uh, district. But it's sort of like the same kind of chutzpah that uh, a young guy named Barack Obama had. <laughs> well, the name like Barack Hussein Obama, right, after 9-11. Hey, I think, I think America's ready. So, who am I to say? Uh, but, but, uh, the keep hearing the economy is so incredible. Um, and uh, stocks, the stock market, uh, the current bull market became the longest bull market on record. Ten years, going strong. Of course, that means that eight of the years were under, eight and a half of the years were under, uh, the aforementioned Barack Hussein Obama, who took over when we were down and out, as was the stock market. Uh, it ranks among the great booms in American economic history. But, and here's the big but, who's reaping the rewards of this? You? Probably not. Because all of the wealth that is embodied in our stock market, almost all of it is held, is owned by just a teeny weeny little group. Definitely the 1% is in there. Uh, let's see, let me get it. In 2016, that's the last year with any solid data, the wealth of the median American household was actually 34% below where it was when the Great Recession hit, when Bush was in office and right before Obama came in. So two years ago, the wealth of the median American household was 34% below where it was at the beginning, essentially, of this bull market. So in other words, oh, the economy's great, the market's booming, blah, 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 and Americans, the average American, is going you know why? Because they ain't in the stock market. The value they have, the equity they have, if they have any, is in their home. And homes are not, believe it or not, uh, they're, they're, the housing market is slowing and has slowed way down. The share of the American public that has any money in the stock market is well, well below where it was before the Republicans and the stock market folks ran our country right into the ground. The banks and the Congress and everybody else ran it into the ground. So the top 10% of Americans in terms of wealth 
own 84% of all the shares. So when the stock market's booming, those guys are getting richer and richer and richer and richer and richer and richer and richer. And, richer. and the rest of the country that might rely on a paycheck, paychecks aren't, in general, are not ticking up. They still are not even ticking up enough to make up for inflation. Deep cuts in all those corporate tax rates that Trump and the GOP Congress put through, uh, man, they have translated into just gushers of money for corporations. Second quarter profits for companies in the S&P 500 are up 25%. And that's after a similar rise in the first quarter. They're just making money hand over fist. The corporations and the people at the top and everybody else. Not so much. The divergence between the rich and the poor in this country is growing as I speak. Let me quote a professor of economics who writes about the distribution of wealth in the United States. He's actually a German. This is the decade in which wealth inequality has increased the most ever in American history. This decade. And the driver of that has been the very unequal gains in the performance of the stock market relative to the sharp drop in the housing market. So where most people have their wealth concentrated in their home, that is not in any way. Maybe it is around Pittsburgh where we have a little bit of a hot market, but I've heard that's cooling too. Housing market's cool. Stock market by, might be going gangbusters, but it's only the rich who are reaping those rewards. Most people got so flipped out by what happened in 2008 when the market crashed, 2007, 2008, um, that they have, um, a lot of them have pulled out and are reluctant to go back in, and I can't blame them. Seriously. And speaking, too, about what holds down accumulation of wealth for regular folks, let me just turn to women. Uh, a study is getting an awful lot of attention because um, it comes out of uh, a joint uh, study by uh, researchers at the University of Chicago and Northwestern and the University of Singapore. And it's about how social attitudes in the United States impact women in the workforce. And it's, it, what's most striking about it is, is it shows that a woman's lifelong earnings and even how much she works are influenced by the levels of sexism in the state where she was born. What? A woman born in the Deep South is likely to face a much wider economic gender gap than a woman born on the Pacific Coast. The research flat out shows this. Even if both women move to New York City as adults, so you got a girl here in Alabama and you got a girl here in San Francisco, and they grow up and they do well in school, and they go off to New York. 
the one born in the South is not going to get as far as the one born on the West Coast. Now, they only studied white adult women. They found that sexist attitudes are most prevalent in the Southeast and least prevalent on the West Coast. The Midwest, and I'm going to include Pennsylvania, at least our part, in that. The Midwest has um, hodgepodge. It almost breaks down area by area and state by state. So that Ohio, at least the way they were able to ascertain, Ohio has relatively low levels of sexism, while neighboring Indiana is off the charts with sexism. So the Midwest is a hodgepodge. Women born in more sexist places marry earlier. They have children earlier, appreciably younger ages. And there is, uh, in the workforce, a clear, sharp decline in women who have uh, children, um, you know, being able to hold down um, a job or certainly to rise in a job. So, according to all of this stuff, the economists seem to believe that girls internalize the social norms that they grow up with. And <clears throat> like, um, what is your job as a woman? What is your role? And the more defined and sexist that role was, that internally doesn't move, and it is there. <clears throat> I can speak to that. I think it's, there's no doubt about it. Um, I, I mean, I can use my, I grew up in a totally uh, sexist area, and including my family, is totally sexist. And while they believed in educating us girls, I really think the purpose was so that we could then marry an uh, educated man and uh, find, yeah, find a really good husband who would be a good earner. That was the idea. And I full well remember heading off to college with not a clue what it was I was supposed to do other than that. And I didn't want to do that. But I had no sense of my ability to have a profession. None. Zero. The only women I knew who worked were teachers or nurses or secretaries. That's all I ever saw. I had one friend who had a working mother, and she worked in, a, you know, in retail. Uh, and it was sort of scandalous that she worked. That same friend did not have a father. So she lived with her grandparents and her mother, and her mother worked. And it was like, I, you know, and I'm old, but I, I, I'm not so old to say that, I mean, the changes in, in, in what girls can aspire to now that they are told from day one they can aspire to, I mean, it's just huge, huge. And you see, I see these young women coming in to, uh, I see them all over the place, and they're just amazing. They don't carry the baggage somebody like I carry. Um, that sense that I was absolutely good for nothing, except marriage. So seeing, though, that that, I'm, I'm not surprised by any of that. Not surprised, feel they've been there, done that, lived it. Anyway, a lot, a, a lot of work to be done. Will you guys go get a will? That is my... I'll never mention it again. I swear to God, I won't. Um, but go get one. You can even do it online. Just get one. If you don't have much of an estate, even if you're in your 30s, get one. 
Do you have a dog? You want to make sure the dog is going to be cared for or is going to be stuck in a pound? Eh? You have a charity that you would like to give your car to or something? Put it down. Okay, I'll shut up. That's it. That's it. I'm done. Uh, God knows what lies ahead this weekend. I will try to avert my gaze as long as I possibly can, but be back on Monday having finally uh, taken a peek, and we'll talk, okay? Have a great weekend. Bye. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.